chapter. For when two or three are gathered together in my name. Mrs. Hemlock was sleeping when the nurse entered the room. She quietly made all of her routine checks, glanced at the monitor, and smiled. The patient was coming along fine, and within a couple of days, would be up and walking. The nurse was about to leave when she got an idea that might make her patient feel better. The nurse walked over to the closet and removed the soiled clothes lying on the floor. Looking at the soiled bag, she tried to lift it up and place it with the other dirty clothes, but found it too heavy. She kneeled on the floor, opened the bag, and saw a dirty old chest. It sported a keyhole in the front, two handles on the side, and was small enough to fit in the bag. It looked weathered and worn, suggesting a prolonged siege from the elements. Squinting at the chest, she tried to recognize its original color but couldn't. As her curiosity peaked, she began to look for the key in the bag but couldn't find it. She was about to look in the clothes when she realized she was poking around someone's private property. She knew better than that. The idea of washing Mrs. Hemlock's clothes was genuine, but if the woman held this chest here, she might be upset over someone poking around her things. She'd better ask first. The nurse put everything back in its place and walked back to Mrs. Hemlock. The nurse's heart reached out for the elderly woman since there were no relatives to care for her. Maybe when she was released, she could invite her over for dinner. Get well soon, Mrs. Hemlock. There's someone who cares for you, she said, trying to hold back her emotions. Being emotional toward patients wasn't an acceptable practice, but she was human first and a nurse second. She left the room without saying another word. One hour later, Anne-Marie slowly woke from her deep sleep. When her eyes finally focused on the room around her and the fog cleared from her head, the past events quickly flooded her memory. For several minutes, she lay in her bed silently as the tears slowly streamed down her face. With all she'd been through and what she'd accomplished, she was disheartened over the current past events. Is all of this worth the life of Sean? What could be so important inside those journals, she thought. And Marie knew the contents inside the journals were only for her son's eyes. But if he was in such danger and couldn't get to them, shouldn't someone else read it? She tried to move a little, but her body rebelled. She ached all over and found it impossible to move without feeling pain. Anne-Marie stared at the closet, praying she could just get over there and read a few pages. She pressed the nurse's button next to her and waited. The same nurse as before entered the room a minute later with a bright smile on her face. She was happy to see Mrs. Hemlock awake. Is everything okay? She asked. Yes? Uh, no. What's wrong with me? Why does my slightest move cause so much pain? I know I was sick, but to the point where every muscle in my body aches. The nurse smiled again. She was relieved there wasn't anything seriously wrong. Mrs. Hemlock. She tried to suppress a smile. It's quite obvious you were doing something strenuous in the woods before you collapsed from exhaustion and someone found you. You have pulled and inflamed muscles, stress joints, and the after effects of hypothermia. In short, your body's a wreck. What you need is rest to get your strength back said the nurse. To tell me the truth, thought Anne-Marie, I really don't know how I was able to do it all. The nurse pulled up a chair and sat next to her. I have a few minutes. Do you mind if we talk? About what? Anne-Marie asked, suspicious. Oh, I don't know. She said, raising her hands. I thought maybe you just wanted someone to talk to. And also because you don't have any friends or family close by to talk to, she thought. Anne-Marie tried to lean up in her bed but her body told her otherwise. The nurse pressed a button, 
raising the bed to a comfortable position and waited. Aunt Marie cleared her throat. So, you start. Fine. The nurse quickly thought about something to say. I think it's great someone your age is still so active and enjoys camping. Thanks, said Aunt Marie, faking a touch of dejection. No, I wasn't putting you down because of your age I was just. And Marie slowly shook her head. I'm joking. Oh, I guess the rain caught you off guard when you were hiking? She asked. Yes, it did arrive all of a sudden. Yeah, the nurse responded. The conversation hit a lull and both women wondered what to talk about next. It was the nurse that started up again. I guess carrying that small chest around put way too much stress on your body. What were you doing, burying your treasure? She jested. Anne-Marie's expression soured. How do you know about the chest? I was just going to wash your clothes so that... You wash my clothes, Anne-Marie said loudly. Oh boy, I made a mess out of this, thought the nurse. Wait, wait a minute, Mrs. Hemlock, I didn't wash your clothes. I just wanted to make you feel better with clean clothes, but decided I should ask you first. Then how did you find the chest? Were the clothes in the bag? No, they were next to the bag, I. Then why did you go into my personal property? You have no right to do that. Anne Marie shouted, being nervous that her hard work could have been so easily taken. The nurse leaned over and cupped Anne Marie's closest hand into hers. Mrs. Hemlock, I'm truly sorry to have violated your personal property without first talking with you. I just wanted to make you feel comfortable. I have your comfort and well-being in mind. I would never do anything to harm you or violate your privacy. Everything is in the closet as if nobody ever touched it. I'm really sorry. And Marie softened when she saw the nurse's sincerity. She even felt guilty for exploding at the girl, who only wanted to be helpful. It's all right. I'm just a paranoid old woman. Thank you for your act of kindness. Please, don't get me wrong, but I would appreciate it if nobody touched my things. I'm a very peculiar person when it comes to my things. Not a problem, Mrs. Hemlock, I'll inform the rest of the staff immediately. The nurse started to rise from the chair when Anne-Marie stopped her. You don't have to tell everyone right now. Anne-Marie smiled. I still would like to talk. We got off on the wrong foot, let's start over. What's your name? The nurse smiled, Julie. The two talked about everything and nothing for several minutes before Julie said she had to get back to work. She promised Anne-Marie she'd stop by later when she had time. After leaving Anne-Marie, Julie checked in on several other patients, taking time to talk to them and hearing their concerns before returning to the nurse's office. She immediately told everyone of Mrs. Hemlock's request and sent emails to the nurses on the next shift. Julie had a few minutes to herself and reflected on her conversation with Mrs. Hemlock, wondering why an elderly woman would exert herself beyond her abilities Julie slowly realized a connection between the outdoor exertion, the muddy clothes, and the chest. Mrs. Hemlock unearthed the chest in the woods, extremely pushing her body beyond its tolerance and trying to make it back to where she came from when both the combination of the heavy rains and her aching body dictated the outcome. She shook her head. There had to be another explanation. People just didn't dig up treasure chests anymore, she paused, but Mrs. Hemlock was really concerned about her clothes being washed. Julie envisioned the chest and remembered the keyhole. The key to the chest was in her clothes. That's why she was so concerned about the clothes being washed. My, my, a modern-day treasure hunter. I wonder what's in that chest, she said softly to herself, 
Deciding she had to satisfy her curiosity, she decided to learn as much about the mysterious Mrs. Hemlock as she could. Whatever she discovered she'd keep secret and never mention it to anyone. She hoped Mrs. Hemlock would show it to her. She just had to see the contents in that chest. Anne-Marie stared at the ceiling, thinking about nothing at all. She examined the little crevices and even tried to count the numerous white square partitions. Slowly her mind wandered back to the chest, the keys, and the close call she almost had. She was sure Julie wouldn't bother her things again. She did have a sweet and caring heart, something slowly dying in the nursing profession these days. The other people entering her room bothered her. She had to do something about it. There was no way she could hide the chest, but she had to move the key to a safe place. Lord, I can barely move. How can I possibly do anything? She mumbled. She then remembered the verse to not be unequally paired with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? And Marie looked at the ceiling again. She had no idea why that verse came to mind and didn't know what it meant, but from what she recently went through, patience would be the answer until it was clear. Later that afternoon, Julie returned with Anne-Marie's dinner. It was earlier than normal, but she hoped Mrs. Hemlock didn't mind and would appreciate it along with her company. Julie was officially off-duty, but took this time to spend with the treasure hunter. Julie placed Anne-Marie into an upright position and put the dinner tray in front of her. It may still be hard for you to move around. Do you want me to assist you with your dinner? Anne-Marie's stubbornness failed to stand aside. I'm not an invalid, she thought. No, thank you, she said. For the first few minutes, her upper torso argued with each movement. She ignored the pain as much as she could, as Julie looked on concerned but not once saying a word. Anne-Marie continued as best as she could before stopping. Her stomach felt empty, she was famished. Julie, can you help me please? Asked Anne-Marie defeated. Her hunger won the battle over her stubbornness to have someone feed her. It made her feel old and helpless, but at the moment, that's exactly what she was. Sure, you know, most people wouldn't be able to do what you've just done. I'm pretty sure you'll be up and around before you know it, Julie said, trying to raise Missy's hemlock spirits. Julie had seen this in many patients before. The feeling of helplessness and inability to do what they normally could do before. Just a little bit of encouragement and the patient was feeling good about himself again. Julie fed Anne-Marie a spoonful of mashed potatoes while she talked. You know, I'm really the outdoors type but wondered what it must feel like to camp in the outdoors for days, living off the land and being one with nature. Anne-Marie smiled without saying a word. Julie gave her another spoon. So how often do you get to camp out in the woods? Not much, Anne-Marie answered, with a mouth half full. Come on, you don't seem the indoors type to me. Well, looks can be deceiving. Anne-Marie opened her mouth for another spoonful. Yeah, said Julie, you're probably right. So what do you do for a living? Besides hunting for treasure, she thought. Anne-Marie waited until she finished what was in her mouth before replying. Julie was getting too personal, and she had to find a way to change the subject. I'm into antiques. Really? Julie said enthusiastically while burying another spoonful into Anne-Marie's mouth. I love antiques. What period interests you? What? Aunt Marie mumbled. Julie continued. Are you into Victorian, Charles II, Queen Anne, Georgian, Regency, Louis XIV, 15th, 16th, or maybe Napoleonic? Wait, 
Do you prefer Chippendale, Heplohyde, Sheraton, or Five? My goodness, thought Anne-Marie. The girl really knows her stuff. She's really nice, but I can't afford for her to learn anything about me. I can't afford the really expensive items, but I'm partial to the Civil War period, she decided to say. Julie leaned back with spoon in hand. Surely you jest, Mrs. Hemlock. You're into American antiques. It's rather cheaper here since not many people are apt to want it. Anne-Marie answered. I see. Julie replaced the spoon with a fork and started feeding Anne-Marie meatloaf. You know, the chest you have doesn't look as though it's from the Civil War period. How old do you think it is? Here we go again, thought Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie gazed at the ceiling to give the impression she was thinking. She needed to get Julie off the topic of the chest and her misadventures in the woods. It would be several more days before she was able to leave, and during that time she had to lessen anyone's interest. Why are you so interested? she asked. Oh, nothing really. I'm just curious why someone would go hiking carrying such a bulky item. Weight resistance. Julie laughed. Right. No, really. Now that I know you're into antiques, I was just wondering if there were any connections. Anne-Marie chewed on the meatloaf before answering. Nope. Excuse me. Nope. I don't understand, said Julie. Anne-Marie sighed. There's no connection, Julie. I like particular antiques, but the chest was just something from a long-ago deceased father. There's no connection. What I was doing with the chest in the woods is none of your business, and I would appreciate it if you didn't ask me again. I'm sorry, said Julie, pausing before she continued. When did your father die? If I may ask. And Marie relaxed. She was grateful to finally get off the topic of the chest in the woods. When I was a very small girl, she answered, Again, I'm sorry. No need to be. That was long ago. But the loss must have been intense, since you still carry his chest around with you. Julie couldn't believe what she just said. She wanted to make the woman feel at ease. However, every time she got one step close, she took another one back by allowing her lips to respond faster than she could stop them. She glanced at Anne-Marie and saw that she was upset. Before Anne-Marie could say a word, Julie apologized. Mrs. Hemlock, I'm so sorry. I do have a weakness for speaking too quickly and putting my foot in my mouth. Julie shook her head. It seems as though I've been doing nothing but apologizing to you all day, she mumbled. She stood up. I only want you to feel at ease and maybe create some bond between us, but I keep on messing it up. Sometimes my curiosity gets the better of me. Julie turned and walked to the door. I don't blame you for being mad. I'll send a nurse to help you finish your food. Julie turned her head. I'll say a prayer for you and your recovery when I go to church tonight. Bye. As Julie left the room, a shocked Anne-Marie couldn't believe what she just heard. Wait. When Julie reluctantly poked her head back in the room, Anne-Marie motioned for her to sit back down. Julie, none of us are perfect, and well, I accept your apology. Can you please help me with my dinner? Sure. While Julie fed Anne-Marie, no words were exchanged between the two. Julie was overcautious and didn't want to say anything to upset Mrs. Hemlock. Anne-Marie, on the other hand, was unsure how to approach Julie's last words before she left the room. After the meal, the silence between the two was thick enough to cover the knife. Julie looked at her watch, time was flying by. I really must be going, it's getting late. Yes, getting late, right, said Anne-Marie. 
Julie stood up. I'll check on you when I get in tomorrow. She moved to the door when Anne-Marie spoke out. Do you believe in God, Julie? Julie turned around with a big smile on her face. Yes, a matter of fact, I do. That's nice, dear. I believe in God, too. In fact, if it weren't for him, I don't know where I would be today. And Marie laughed, including this hospital bed, I guess. Julie smirked at the thought. It was indeed funny. Well, well, Mrs. Hemlock, you are full of surprises, aren't you? And Marie's smile faded as she stared at the end of her bed. It's been some time since I've had fellowship with another Christian. I guess I really didn't know it until you mentioned your church. I know you have to go, but, well, it would mean a lot to me if you can find some time to visit tomorrow. Not as a nurse, but as someone to talk to. It would be my utmost pleasure. Julie gently held Anne Marie's hand. Sleep well tonight. If you need anything at all, give me a call at home. I'll tell the next crew, just in case. The two said their goodbyes, and Anne Marie was alone in the room again. She still didn't know much about Julie and felt nothing that would indicate the girl had an alternative motive behind her friendliness. From all of the running and moving around, she needed time to slow down and, if possible, someone to talk to. Someone she could trust. Was Julie that person? God had a hand in every mood she made. Why else would she be in this hospital unless there was some divine purpose behind it? Anne-Marie yawned, then said, Lord, please guide me in what I should do. Julie seems to be genuine, but I'm not sure how much I can open up to her. You know better than I do if I needed someone to talk to, someone I could trust, and another fellow believer. I believe Julie may be this person. I haven't relied on or talked to anyone up to this point. I need you to help me. I need your guidance. And Marie dosed off before completing her prayer. Vicky Bunn was in the living room consoling Lisa while her husband was upstairs with the children. The pastor and his wife had quickly responded to Nicole's hysterical call several minutes ago. The girl ranted and raved about her father, a DVD, and her mother fainting. When they arrived, Lisa was lying on the couch in a fetal position, crying while her two children looked on, not knowing what to do. He's gone, Vicky. I've lost him, Lisa sobbed. Now, you don't know that for sure, do you, dear? Let's not give up so soon, she said, rubbing Lisa's back. But you didn't see him. The DVD was destroyed, but the face, the face Vicky. He was lost and confused. He didn't even sound like the man I married. What if? Now, you can make up any answer you want and never be satisfied. At this point, there's only one thing you can do. You may not be able to physically reach Sean right now, but God can. No matter how far Sean's turned, your prayers have the power to help him. Never give up on God's ability to turn things around, Vicky said. Upstairs, Pastor Matthew Bunn was trying to give the kids the same encouragement, but found his task more challenging. They were all in Nicole's room, since she refused to leave it. The recent events from the DVD to her mother fainting and to the Bunns trying to calm the family down were too much for her. As the pastor spoke to her brother, she listened to music from her MP3 player through her headphones. She wanted to detach herself from everything, and right now the music was the only thing helping her. Or so she thought. So, what do we do now? Brad asked the pastor. I really don't know, son. I, I mean, dad's alive. Shouldn't we be happy? He's working on some important project, from what I heard. So what's the big deal? What's mom so upset about? And why is Nicole so freaked out? He shouted in Nicole's direction. 
Nicole may believe she didn't hear him. Pastor Bun placed his hand on the boy's shoulder to calm him. Brad, there are many things in this world we don't understand, but I can tell you what your sister and mother saw wasn't comforting. Why? Pastor Bun sighed. How could he make the boy understand? Brad, you believe in God, right? Of course I do, but I don't see how. The pastor held up his hand. Then, you must also understand, since there are people who believe in God, then there are also those who believe in evil. No, Brad shouted, I know what you're going to say, and I don't believe it. So what daddy didn't come to church with us, that doesn't make him a bad man. That doesn't make him evil. No, you're wrong. Brad, wait, the pastor pleaded, listen to what I have to say. No, he's my father, you're wrong. Nicole couldn't take it anymore. Brad, just listen, will you? Oh, that's just great. Now, you're going to tell me you believe all of this, too. Brad shouted at her. You didn't see the DVD, Nicole shouted back. You didn't see Daddy's eyes. You didn't see the way he talked. Something's wrong. And if you saw it, you'd believe it, too. Guys, please slow down, the pastor pleaded. I know that this is hard to. You know nothing, shouted Brad as tears started to fall from his eyes. This is my father you're trying to tell me is possessed. How would you like it if someone told you that about your father? Brad, dad's not. Possessed, you idiot. If you just shut up, you'll know that. That what? That the chance of daddy coming home doesn't look good. That I went from having a dead daddy to an alive daddy and then to a daddy so freaky that he caused mom to pass out. Tell me, what else don't I know? Oh, forget it. Nicole put her headphones back on and turned up the juice. Pastor Bun got a tissue from close by and gave it to Brad. He finally understood the boy had a good handle on what was happening around him. He just needed to vent some pent-up frustration. He waited patiently as Brad turned away from both him and Nicole to dry his eyes. After a few minutes, he turned around to face the pastor again, his eyes red from crying. Why? asked Brad. I don't know said the pastor answered. Brad shook his head as he figured the pastor didn't understand his question. No. Why did God let Daddy walk away from him? Pastor Bunt's heart felt like breaking as he looked at the boy. Brad, we all have the right to make our own decisions in life, whether they're good or bad. God allows us and gives us a free will. He never forces us to do anything, but don't forget, he's always there for us whenever we need him. Now your father never really gave his heart to the Lord, but Jesus was always there waiting for him. I don't know what decisions he made over the past several days, but they were obviously in the wrong direction. What I'm trying to tell you is to not give up. Your father's a good man with a good heart. I know God doesn't want him to be where he is now, and you must believe our prayers will help him wherever he is. I know it's hard, and you have a lot of questions right now, but hold on to this. Your father is alive, and where there is life, there's always hope. He'll preserve him and turn this whole situation around. Is prayer the best we can do? I mean, can't we even try to find dad and help him? Asked Brad. Your father doesn't want to be found from what I heard, but where we're limited, God isn't. Brad was silent for a while and then glanced at Nicole. The music was still blasting from her headphones, insulting her tympanic membrane. What about her? He asked. Pastor Bun shook his head slightly. Nicole seems determined to handle this situation her own way. When she's ready to talk more openly, we have to be there for her. But for now, 
Let's just give her the space she needs. She has all the space she needs between her ears, said Brad sarcastically, yet playfully in his own special way. Bradley. Just joking, but I still feel bad about Dad. I just want him back home and everything as it used to be. I know, I know. The pastor paused. And with God's help, it will be again. Yeah, I hope so, Brad said softly. And Marie woke up to the sweet smell of something delicious she hasn't touched for some time. Bacon. Julie held the covered breakfast plate on her lap tray as she watched Anne-Marie. She didn't want to disturb her sleep, so she sat there deep in thought, wondering how they would interact today. She prayed she didn't say anything stupid. Good morning, Mrs. Hemlock. I hope you slept well last night. Um, yes, I did. Anne-Marie stretched her arms and took a deep breath. She looked at Julie. What? Julie was smiling. Oh, nothing. You just move your arms without any pain, that's all. Anne-Marie paused, then moved her arms slightly. She smiled as she felt no pain in her limbs. Moving her body to a sitting position in her bed, she realized that there was absolutely no pain. Well, I guess I'll be leaving today after all. Julie shook her head. I'm sorry, but today is out of the question. You may feel no pain, but your body still needs the rest. You really pushed yourself too hard, even though you're blessed to have recovered so quickly. Fine. Well, since I'm here for another day, let's set that bacon you have over there. Need help? Julie joked. Nah, I'll feed myself today. Julie set up the plate in front of Anne-Marie, sat down, and watched the elderly woman practically inhale the food. When the plate was empty, Anne-Marie relaxed on the bed. That was good. It's been some time since I've had eggs, bacon, and jellied toast. Have any coffee? Sorry, said Julie. Simulants are off limits. Decaf? Sure, how would you like it? Asked Julie, standing up. And Marie held up her hand. Later, sit down. Let's talk for a while. Julie sat down, wondering what Anne Marie would want to talk about. Julie had made sure she didn't mention anything about the chest which seemed to be a sensitive area. So how was church last night? Asked Anne-Marie. Good, very good indeed, Julie answered. I mentioned to several of my friends about your situation, and we spent time praying for your speedy recovery. And as you can see, you're almost completely back to normal. I also told them about your belief in Jesus, and they were all happy to hear that. Yes, and Marie paused. Julie, how long have you been a Christian? Oh, let me see. About eight years now. I became a believer when I was just a teenager. What about you? Me? My dear? It's been so long. I would say more than 45 years. Sheesh. You must be ancient in the Lord. And Marie didn't respond. Man. Why can't I say anything right around her? Julie thought. And Marie started laughing. That was the funniest thing I've heard in a long time. Julie breathed easier. I was so afraid I offended you again. Nah, and Marie waved her hand. By the way, I was only offended before because I didn't know you that well. Really? Said Anne-Marie curiously. Why? Why? Yes, why? Said Anne-Marie. I just wanted to. I mean you looked like you needed a... Julie shrugged her shoulders and stopped talking. Oh, come on now, said Anne-Marie reassuringly. You can't live your whole life wondering if the words coming out of your mouth will always be perfect. You're not perfect, 
I'm not perfect. The best thing you can do is be honest, open, transparent. Julie sighed. All right. I felt sorry for you because you have no living relatives to notify of your condition. You were hurt bad, and we couldn't call anyone to come and hold your hand as you lay here unconscious. It really hurt to see you like that, so I did my best to help out any way I could. I just wanted to comfort you. Julie. You know I have a comforter that's greater than any one. Yes, but I didn't know that before. So let me get this straight. Anne-Marie rubbed her chin to act as though she was deep in thought. Because of the love God has instilled in you, you tend to have a Christian duty to help those in need. And now, since you know I'm a believer in Christ, you'll not be visiting me as frequently because you know I'm in God's hands and your hands are needed. No. Did I say that? I didn't say that, did I? I just, let me finish, and Marie interrupted. But that's not it, is it? Do you feel as though you're supposed to be helping me somehow? Now, Julie was utterly confused. I'm a nurse, she said slowly. Yes, dear, I know. Please listen to me carefully. Let me put it more clearly. Do you feel as though God has drawn us together? Julie smiled. Yes, yes, of course. Why? Again with the wise, thought Julie. Mrs. Hemlock, I really don't know. Only God knows why, she said. Yes, he does, and I think you do too. I believe God has given you something. Something has drawn you to me and has stuck in your mind since we met. Julie, I know our meeting isn't by accident. I know now God allowed us to come together. The only thing I want to be sure about is how far he wants our familiarity to go. This type of conversation wasn't what Julie had expected when she first arrived today. What she had been prepared to do was to talk about general things like the weather, church, their beliefs in God, antiques, and anything else usually brought up in a trivial conversation. She had no idea what Mrs. Hemlock was getting at and was confused at the way she was talking. Mrs. Hemlock talked as if Julie knew something important about her and wanted to somehow confirm it. Julie was starting to feel uncomfortable as she searched for something to say. Then it just came out, the unimaginable. Why did you nearly kill yourself several days ago in the woods carrying that chest? The only thing I could think of is that you dug it up, exerting yourself far more than you expected, and then got caught in that horrible storm. What's so important about that chest to risk your health for? Julie's hands flew to her mouth, but it was too late. The one thing she didn't want to say now hung in the air like a dark cloud. She lowered her head and was about to apologize when Anne-Marie spoke. Remember what I said before. Be honest, open, and transparent. Julie, look at me. Julie looked up. I'm not upset, am I? Asked Anne-Marie. Julie stared for a while at Anne-Marie and then shook her head. Good. Then I'll answer your question. Julie's eyes brightened. But only after you answer just a couple more of mine. This sounds more like an interview than a conversation, thought Julie. If it pleases you, she said. Julie, I know you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but does it just end there? If God told you to do something, would you do it? Would you do it if it meant you could be killed? How deep is your faith? Would you follow God's instructions, even though you didn't fully understand them? Asked Anne-Marie. Those are deep questions. The only thing I can say is if those situations ever come, that my faith would be sufficient, Julie replied. Anne-Marie smiled. Some churches don't talk about fallen angels. They only talk about God's love, 
but do you believe there's a spiritual war going on in this world for the lives and souls of people? Yes, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to help you when I saw how lonely you were," said Julie. Bingo! And Marie closed her eyes and thanked God. God knew the upcoming events would be hard for her alone. A fellow believer, someone she could confide in and take fellowship with, was greatly needed. She opened her eyes. Have you ever fought against the forces of darkness? What? Julie immediately remembered one of her pastor's sermons about how Satan was a roaring lion seeing who he could devour. She remembered how the pastor spoke on how Satan was a master of all lies and could deceive people and even nations with his tongue. There were people out there who worshipped him, performed horrible deeds, and even believed that by following him they would accrue power. At first she took it as another fire and brimstone sermon, but as she grew in her understanding and belief in God, she realized it was true. If there's a God, then there's a devil. If there are angels, then there are demons. If there are Christians, then there are Satan worshippers. However, ever since she'd been a Christian, she'd never come into contact with demonic forces or Satan worshippers. She knew it was out there, but it never really hit home. Not yet. No, Julie responded to Anne-Marie's question. I don't believe I have. Anne-Marie shook her head. It's not something you go out looking for. All of a sudden, it just pops up in your face, and when that happens, and if you're deeply rooted, your faith will astound you. I tell you, you'll never know how strong you are in Christ without a trial or adversity getting in your face. Julie glanced at the closet. Does this all have something to do with that chest? Yes. Julie shook her head. Maybe I should know. Don't be afraid. At times God expects us to take a step in faith. And Marie paused for a while. Is all of this clicking with you? Yes, no, I don't even know this woman, Julie thought. As far as I know, she could be some religious nut with obsessive delusions, I'd better. Seeing Julie's hesitation, Anne-Marie continued. I'm not here to convince you of anything. Only God can speak to your heart, but you seem confused. I can't blame you, but maybe after I give you the full story behind the chest you'll understand. And please understand, you're the first person I'm telling who I really don't know well. So in a way, I'm taking a step in faith by confiding in you." She paused. Do you have time? This will take a while. When Julie nodded, Aunt Marie started her story from when she was a small child to the current events that took place up to this very day. She can hold anything back, didn't pull any punches, and was totally transparent. Julie didn't once interrupt or question Aunt Marie as she spoke. Instead, Julie sat there with wide eyes and open mouth. After nearly an hour of talking, and Marie was finished. And that's that for now. What you do with this is in God's hands, as far as I can see, said Anne Marie. Julie cleared her throat. Mrs. Hem. Uh, Duquesne. For now, call me Mrs. Hemlock. Okay, said Julie. Well, all of this is quite unbelievable if you ask me. Yep. And now that you know everything, I won't be surprised if your eyes are opened up to more things about me. I'm pretty sure that where others will see Mrs. Hemlock, you'll now see Mrs. Duquesne. Julie looked at her watch. Her ship starts in 15 minutes, and it gave her a perfect excuse to leave. Right now, she was feeling extremely uncomfortable. I'm sorry, I don't want to be rude, but my ship starts soon, I have to go. I understand, but one last question, dear. What's your last name? asked Anne Marie. Targus, she said as she stood up and made her way to the door. I'll be back soon. 
After they sent their goodbyes, Julie walked straight to the nurse's office and retrieved the file on Mrs. Hemlock. She opened the file, which had her passport in it, and looked at the picture. Everything looks the same, she mumbled. She then glanced at the name on the passport and nearly dropped it. It read Anne-Marie Duquesne. Her hands began to shake. She walked over to one of the other nurses sitting at her desk. Excuse me, Lydia, what's the name on this passport? Lydia took the passport, looked at it and clearly said, Sheila Hemlock, and gave it back. Julie put the file and passport back, ran straight to the bathroom, and threw up.